Scripture passage this morning comes from the letter to the Hebrews, the 12th chapter. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. The passage begins by saying, therefore since, which means it's an indication to us that we're entering a conversation that's been going on for a while, and in the case of the letter to the Hebrews, just obviously by the notations on the page, we are in the 12th chapter, 11 chapters have gone before, and the theme here has been to help Jewish Christians understand the superior greatness of Jesus to the practices of Judaism. For instance, angels were important in Judaism. If you read early on in Hebrews, the writer says, angels are great, but look how much greater Jesus is. That same theme follows through with the temple. The temple is great, look how much greater Jesus is. The priesthood, the priesthood is great, but look how much greater Jesus is. That's our theme today. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we are surrounded. We're not alone in this, in this uh, activity. A number of years ago, our uh, second child, our daughter Angie, had just gotten her driver's license. She was born in December. We were living in Spokane, Washington at the time, just gotten her driver's license. Uh, and there was a, uh, the, the Christmas dance was coming up in that case. The Christmas dance was a girl-ask-boy dance. So she'd asked, and she had a date for the Christmas dance. I don't think she cared that much about the date. She just wanted to drive the car. <laughs> well, wouldn't you know it, on the Saturday morning of the dance, we got up and it was snowing. I mean, she'd never driven in snow before in her life. Uh, the... Uh, uh, the travel advisory escalated eventually to a winter, winter storm warning, and there was, by the time it was time to leave for the date, there was like eight or ten inches of new snow on the ground, and she kept asking, Dad, can I take the car? Can I take the car? I said, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. <laughs> Finally, I found myself saying yes, and I heard my wife gasp from the other room, what are you thinking? I said, I have a plan, and she said, you better have a plan. So... This was the plan. Our daughter Angie pulled out of the driveway. As she rounded the first bend in the road, I pulled out of the driveway. And I followed her all the way down where she picked up her date, and they went to the restaurant, and I parked behind the delivery van for that restaurant while they had dinner, just waiting. When dinner was over, I followed them up to the school and sat there behind a hedge of arborvitae for several hours while they danced. When the dance was over, they went back downtown for some pie, and then eventually back home again. That's where I changed the format just a little bit. I I got out in front of her so that I'd made some tracks that she could follow back home. I I thought I'd concealed myself perfectly, but she told me a few years later that she had in fact seen me, and she was mortified. But I did nevertheless want her to know, and I think it did make a difference to her in her life, that she was surrounded. I mean, her father was there, everywhere, all the time. (laughs) 
Your heavenly Father is surrounding you. You are surrounded by not only your heavenly Father, but a great cloud of witnesses. That would be the people who have gone before us in the faith and also those who are living side beside us really right now in, in the, at this moment in history. So we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us, therefore, lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. I take that to mean put down whatever it is that's holding you back from making any progress in your daily walk with Jesus Christ. I think all of us have a, most of us at least, have some ideas in mind of things we'd like to do next. I think we have a certain vision for our discipleship and also for our everyday life. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that pretty much everybody in this room today has something that they really want to do but they've just not gotten around to it. Maybe the task team seems too big or too inconvenient or perhaps you're just tired. It might be something in your spiritual life. It might be something in your everyday life. Perhaps there's a relationship that needs to be addressed. Perhaps there's a personal habit that needs to be confronted. I don't know what it is, but get started. Now's the time. Not tomorrow, not the next day, but now. Lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely that keeps us from doing what we're supposed to do. Uh, one Sunday years ago, I came home after the Sunday morning worship services, and I was pretty much brain dead as I was on Sunday afternoon. I sat down to watch something on television, and I happened to tune into the Ironman World Championship from Hawaii. Uh, it's, you know, the Ironman competition triathlon. triathlon. It's a, it's a uh, two-and-a-half-mile swim followed by a 110-mile bike race followed by a 26.2-mile run. Pretty demanding. Well, this was, this was just a summary of the event, and uh, they chose a few people who had entered just to follow their story, to give it a little human interest. And one of the stories concerned a woman named Elizabeth Thompson, who a few years before had suffered from a, a stroke, pretty much incapacitated by it, but she went through vigorous physical therapy. Uh, most of the physical therapy revolved around three activities, riding a bike, swimming, and walking. And as she gained more and more of her capacity, she turned the walking into running. And when she'd gotten all better, she said, well, what can I do that will allow me to continue to be involved in biking and running and, and, uh, and swimming? And that was when she was introduced to these triathlons. And here she was, uh, in her mid-50s, she'd qualified for the world championship. So they were following her along the course. It took her a long time to finish, something like 18 hours to finish. And when she crossed the finish line, they stuck a camera and a and a, a microphone interface and said, what a tremendous accomplishment it is. Elizabeth Thompson, you crossed the finish line. She said, the challenge for me was not crossing the finish line. The, cross, the, the challenge was crossing the starting line. I mean, just to get to the place where you start, most of the energy of uh, transportation to space or to the moon is expelled in the first few hundred yards off of the launch pad. And it holds us back. So lay aside whatever it is that's if there's something in your life that needs to be addressed, get started. And then run with perseverance. Um, that means keep going. Once you're started, keep going. There will be impediments. There will be days when you think you're just not making any progress at all. Sometimes it will be inconvenient. But just keep going. There was another woman I read about one time, heard in the news, actually. She had entered the Cleveland Marathon. If you're familiar with a marathon, you'll know that it's, it's not just the 26.2 mile run. Usually there are a couple of other runs that are embedded in it. Like in the case of the Cleveland Marathon, there was the full marathon, there was also a half marathon. And there was also a 10K run, which is 6.2 miles. Now she had entered the 6.2 mile run, the 10K. Well, they all started going down the road. 
Somehow, however, she missed the turnoff for those who were running the six-mile race and found herself on the course of those who were running the 26-mile run. Our family tracked her down and said, Mom, turn back, but she just kept her out on running. When she crossed the finish line, her family gathered around her, and they said, What were you thinking? She said, Well, it wasn't the race I planned on, and it wasn't the race I prepared for, but I thought as long as I was in it, I might as well run it to the end. It'd be interesting to go around the sanctuary right now just... Each one of us could answer the question, are you running the race you planned on? I mean, has life gone exactly according to the script from when you were 8 or 10 years old? It's not true for any of us. Every one of us finds ourselves running a different kind of race than we planned on or even that we prepared for. Life happens. Relationships fall apart. We go through unemployment. We get sick. All sorts of things spring up in front of us, and they can be... Points of discouragement that keep us from running the race. Keep going. Run with perseverance. Looking to Jesus, the passage goes on to say. Which is, you know, this is the centerpiece of the Christian life. It's certainly the centerpiece of the gospel. It's the centerpiece of this passage of scripture. When you're getting started and when you're persevering in your run, keep your eye open to Jesus. He's the most singularly most significant person who ever lived. I was saying yesterday to the group that uh, Grosset and Dunlap Publishing House a number of years ago commissioned 26 historians and educators to identify the the, the most important events in history. And so they deliberated for some time. You can imagine how hard that is. I mean, the most important things in history? That's a long list. Well, they determined after considerable conversation, that the most important thing that ever happened in history to date was the discovery of America. Interesting choice. I assume they were all from America. Second place was Gutenberg's printing press. There were 11 things tied for third and five things tied for fourth. One of them was uh, the discovery of ether development of x-rays, airport, air air transportation, the writing of the U.S. Constitution, and the life of Jesus in a tie for fourth. But we're not here today because Jesus is tied for anybody in fourth place. We're not here because Jesus is even in fourth place or third place or second place by himself. We're here because Jesus is preeminent in history. There is no one like him. He is the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what you are supposed to look like, look at Jesus. He's the centerpiece of it all. And the writer here goes on, goes on to add two qualities about Jesus. He is, first of all, our pioneer, meaning he's the one who goes before us. We all know about pioneers Even as you look around this room today, everything that surrounds us owes its existence to a pioneer. I mean, these pews have been crafted out of wood. Somebody had to figure out how to do that, and they had to make tools to make it happen. They were pioneers. The music that comes, someone had to write the music. The instruments needed to be developed. People needed to train their physical capacities to make music, and on and on and on. You know, there isn't a thing that happens to us in all of our daily life that doesn't owe itself 100% to pioneers. 
Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. That means he goes before us. We have the assurance that he has gone ahead of us to get things ready. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine came to me, and we serve on some nonprofit boards together. He said, listen, I'm part of an organization called the Mercury Baroque Orchestra. We are an organization that only plays music from the Baroque period on instruments from the Baroque period. And the greatest piece of music in the Baroque period is Handel's Messiah. He said, so every year, we, we around Christmas time, we have a number of concerts around the greater Houston area, and then we, we culminate that with a big performance of Handel's Messiah in Jones Hall in downtown Houston. And we always like to have a, a guest conductor to do the encore. The encore was uh, one more singing of not the whole Hallelujah Chorus, but, uh, or just the Hallelujah Chorus, not, not all of the Messiah. And so we were wondering if maybe you'd like to be the, the guest conductor. I mean, I don't know. I like music, but I've never, I don't play any instruments. I don't know how to read music. I know nothing about music, really, except what I like and what I don't like. And the idea of standing before an orchestra of trained musicians and, and singers was really quite terrifying to me. And I, everything in me wanted to say no, but strangely, I found myself saying, okay. <laughs> but the next thing I know, I'm having lunch with Antoine Plant, the artistic director, and he's, uh, he's handing me the score. He said, this might help. Well, it's about this thick, and the pieces of paper are like that. And I said, I don't know anything about this. I gave it back to him, and I went out and bought a, bought a CD of Handel's Messiah, and I started, started listening to it. That's how I prepared myself. I put it in my CD player as I was driving around town, and I would, I would kind of, when, when we'd come to a stoplight, I'd pretend. I'd try, now, how would I do that? What would I, how would I conduct this piece? And my wife is telling me all along, she said, listen, it's a big room. There'll be a lot of people there. Whatever you do, don't be puny. Make it big. So I'm, you know, I mean, you do this, don't you? You stop at a stoplight and you kind of like to glance at the car next to you to see what strange thing the person's doing in that car. Well, I entertained a lot of people for a while practicing. Well, anyway, then we're down to the dress rehearsal on the night before the big performance, and I'm in the basement of Jones Hall, and the whole orchestra's there, and the whole choir's there, and they, they're rehearsing, and I'm standing in the corner just trembling. Antoine Plant invites me up onto the little podium and he, to do my practice run, and you know we get through it. And it, I mean, it just—it was an absolutely terrifying experience. And when we're done, he's walking me back toward the door. He said, "Listen, we know we can tell that you're pretty nervous about this. Uh, we just hope you relax because we don't really need you to do anything." You know, if you just do something that lets us know we're starting and something that lets us know we're done, that'll be just fine. <laughs> so now it's the next day, and I'm up on the podium, and the crowd is there, and, the, and I don't know, I reached up to straighten my tie or something, and they started to play. And, <laughs> I mean, this music is just flowing out, and I'm doing all my moves, and we're about, about halfway through. It's only four minutes and seven seconds. It's not like it's... A, Marathon, four minutes and seven seconds. I'm probably two minutes into it, and I'm thinking, wow, this is going really well. I think maybe I've discovered a, maybe a latent gift that I have. <laughs> but, you know, of course, that's when I looked around and saw that not one member of the orchestra nor one member of the choir was even looking at me. <laughs> anyway, then I was back in my seat, and we were done. I was beginning to get, you know, my heartbeat back again. And I began to wonder why that went so well. 
Well, it went so well because God created the world. And God loved the world and sent his only son to make things right. And it went really well because the scriptures were written by people who'd encountered the living God. And because Handel had taken the music and the score and somehow turned it into this glorious symphony and because all those orchestra members had refined their skills and someone had made their instruments and the choir members had been singing at the best and Antoine Plant had been rehearsing them for months in advance so that all I had to do was to stand up and straighten my tie. (laughs) A lot of times we're just intimidated by the things that are before us. We're afraid to get started. We're afraid to keep going because we think we can't do it. I'm just here to say, according to this scripture passage, Jesus is your pioneer. He's gone before you. Things are ready. Don't be intimidated what you, about what you don't know or what you think can't be. Jesus is your pioneer and also your perfecter. That means he's the one who comes along afterwards. The pioneer goes before getting things ready. The perfecter comes along afterwards. Cleaning up the messes, making things turn out better than anyone could have imagined. You know, I was thinking about that airplane. In uh, Remember the plane took off a few years ago? From, it was flying from LaGuardia to um, Charlotte. And they flew into the flock of birds, and both engines were extinguished. They couldn't restart them. I mean, they're just barely off the ground. This is not a glider. This is an Airbus with 150 people on board. And, the, you know, you can go online. You can listen to the conversation back and forth between the cockpit and, and the, um, the pilot, Sully Sullenberger. And they give him couple of options say, can you make it back to LaGuardia? No, I can't make it back to LaGuardia. Can you go to to Teterboro? No, no, I can't make it to Teterboro. Can you you make it to Newark? No, I can't make it to Newark. And then he he uttered these words, which became the second most popular phrase of that year, according to somebody who studies phrases. We'll be in the Hudson. I mean, they had to ask for clarification in the control tower. Say again, we'll be in the Hudson. This wasn't a seaplane. And they have just, you know, just the little glances of the airplane landing on the Hudson River. It's just stunning. And the next thing you know, all the passengers and crew are out, every single one of them, out on the wings. I mean, it's just such a great photograph. They're all out on the wings. They've somehow survived. That landing went so much better than anyone ever expected that it could. I choose to believe it was because, in this case, the perfecter came along and produced a different outcome. I really wish that, I understand you've got a piece of property here that you don't have anything on right now. If you could just get that airplane and bring it here to Amarillo, you could put it up there and put stairs on it, and you could have people reading Psalm 91, which talks about how he will give his angels charge regarding you. They will bear you up on their wings lest you dash your foot against a stone. Wouldn't it be great for people who thought they were just at the end of life and everything was a mess and nothing could be redeemed if they could come and stand on that wing and realize, you know, life has a way of turning out. We have a pioneer who's gone before us getting things ready and a perfecter who comes along afterwards. That means our, if we entrust our lives to Jesus, our, our marriages are going to turn out better. Our children are going to turn out better. Our work is going to turn out better. Our church is going to turn out better. It's, it's in the interest of Jesus Christ to perfect our 
imperfect efforts. And he did all of this for the sake of the joy that was set before him. For that reason, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and has been seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. The great and triumphant conclusion to the story that we're living in right now. Now, I'm assuming that you've heard all of these things before. Yes, I know you've heard these things. If you're church people, maybe you just came in today for the first time, which would be really a wonderful thing. But most of us have heard this story before, but I, I just... But living the life, that's a different thing. I may be, you know, one of the very few people, maybe the only person who got all choked up in one of the opening scenes of the original movie Jurassic Park, you might remember. It begins uh, with a couple of paleontologists who have spent their whole professional career reading books about dinosaurs and, and digging in the dust, looking for their bones. When they hear word that there is an island, and on that island there are some astonishing creatures. And then there, there comes that scene where the jeep moves out into this opening. They hear a, a kind of moaning sound in the distance, and when they look, these grove of eucalyptus trees, here comes this 30-foot-tall, living, breathing dinosaur right in front of them. I wish you could see the look on their faces when they actually get to see something they've only just read about all their lives, when they get to see the living form of something they've only touched the bones of before. That's the way the scriptures are designed to come alive in our lives so that these words come up off the page so that you can say, I'm not just read about Jesus. I've felt him in me. This is not work that you and I need to do. It is an act of surrender. Simply saying, I choose to entrust my life to you. Teach me how to breathe, how to live. And if we do, then the one who is our pioneer and our perfecter will come and make a way for us. Please pray with me. Thank you for honoring us, O Lord, with your personalized gift of Jesus Christ and that by the astonishing miracle of your design, Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago, actually lives in us today. I know that you designed love so that it is not something that forces itself upon us. You, love does not insist on its own way, so there's nothing about this that we are required to do. But if we choose to trust you and honor you with the gift of our life, thank you that you will take us and make us and move us into someone altogether new. And we will be, for the first time, at home in our own skin. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.